This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome to Out of the Blue for Amazing Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. A repository of malaise and a basin of despair where no light or happiness can reach and nothing can ever escape. I am Jared Sturmer of MazingBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate. Andy, you sun-kissed nightingale. Swaddle me in children's clothing and tell me everything is going to be all right, for the love of God. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man, it's not that bad. You know, the sun's shining today. We're still on the right side of the ground. Life goes on. I'm kidding. Life does go on. I'm doing surprisingly well. I think that I'm going to try this thing called Dry January. It's this new fad that I think is called sobriety? Sobriety? I don't know. It could be a silent <laughs> E. Apparently, you just don't drink for extended periods of time. It's It's supposed to be wild. Uh, be careful. I've heard benefits of like sustained happiness, uh, better sleeping, uh, healthier appetite. So I'd be dubious. Yeah, I'll, I'll consult my doctor before I get too deep into this thing. But good to have you back, man. Welcome back from your trip. I know you were able to watch the Fiesta Bowl in paradise and then you had to come back and deal with reality. But nonetheless, it's good to have you back. We're going to talk through this thing. Uh, like you said, the sun did come up today. I have high hopes it comes up tomorrow. And we're going to continue to do our job. We're going to we're going to keep our heads up through this thing. Let's get into some quick hits before we talk about the inevitable. Uh, first quick hits. Let's start with football. Got a couple transfers that we wanted to touch on. Julius Welshoff and Taylor Upshaw, both sixth year guys, both extremely large. Welshoff six seven was listed as one of Bruce Feldman's freaks. Uh, or freak athletes, sorry, not just freak, but he uh, is not actually going to uh, not going to be a freak on the Michigan roster for much longer. Wish him the best. The German transfer never really caught on at Michigan. Upshaw was a valuable rotation guy. But yeah, moving on from those two guys, any thoughts on the Julius Welshoff and the Taylor Upshaw transfers? Uh, no, I don't blame him at all, man. Uh, Upshaw wants a more prominent role. He's been very valuable with his rotational depth. Uh, Welshoff just probably wants to play more than special teams, and he's just not going to do it at Michigan. I believe both are graduate transfers, have degrees, maybe multiple from Michigan. So, no, wish him nothing but the best. And now it's clearing up the way for our, board, our boy TJ Guy to break through next season. We're still on Guy Island. Our flag is planted. Look, Julius Welshoff's going to be 26 in March. Like, we just don't have the roster spots for some of these guys. It's it's time to move on. And that may seem crass, but it's, it is kind of ridiculous with that COVID year, how long some of these guys have been there. But wish them the best. They're going to get picked up somewhere, like, just with their size and the fact that if you're good enough to be third string at Michigan, you can probably start at most places. So uh, the other quick hit, we're going to keep it quick. It probably deserves its own segment, but until we know more about it we're not gonna we're not gonna ruminate on it and that is coach Jim Harbaugh has spoken to Carolina about the open position there's also rumors that Denver has spoken with him and maybe offering as much as 20 million dollars a year so here we are again the new year and we're dealing with the exact same thing we were dealing with a calendar year ago I gotta say after he came out and said he was done flirting with the NFL to be doing it this soon again is a little annoying man 
Very much so. Uh, it's it's just tiresome at this point. We did it last year, and all things were equal. It was fine. Like, go ahead. I understand. Like, you were so close to winning a Super Bowl. Football's ultimate prize. So the hunger to get back there has to persist, especially when college coaching just sucks. Like, the grind of recruiting, dealing with NIL, the transfer portal, the long layoff until the playoff, just numerous things. And they add up and weigh on you throughout the years, especially at a program like Michigan, where expectations are so lofty. Uh, rumors, as you touched on, as he spoke to the Panthers, he told the Queen City, the local Charlotte newspaper, that uh, he might be leaning towards coming back to Michigan, something like that. I'm paraphrasing. So maybe he's in contract negotiations, but I really don't want this to be a yearly thing where he's actually entertaining the offers. It was one thing in 15 and 16 when it was just reporter fodder, but now it's like he's actually talking to these teams for the second straight year after he said he wouldn't. So it's very annoying. I get everything that you said and all of the reasons why he might do it. If someone's offering me $20 million a year to go live in Denver and not have to recruit and not have to deal with the impossible turmoil that's going on in college football right now, it's impossible to track what's going to happen and where things are going next. I get all of that. But the response he gave was tepid at best and is about as uncertain as what I'm going to be doing with my life at any given time. Like he responded with the certainty of a nomad that could be in Argentina next month. So I don't know where he's going to end up. And at this point, I've just kind of checked out. It's beyond our control. There's absolutely nothing we can do. I'm sick of talking about it. Like if he goes and we have to figure out who the next coaching candidate is going to be, I'll have that conversation with you and we will cross that bridge when we get there but for now man i'm just so sick of it so happy to move on from this if you are yeah absolutely man if he comes back great welcome thank you for bringing us back to prominence let's go win a natty and if he goes thank you for everything you did let's get a new coach and let's go win a natty for sure oh the last point i wanted to make and then happily we'll move on if you're gonna go Go after next year. We've got too many horses in the stable for next year. We got a monster coming back. Like if if this is your your goal, I might even lean come yeah. back next year and then go. Just do it because you obviously you want this. Yeah, exactly. You have a Ferrari just sitting in the garage waiting to be unleashed on college football next season. This isn't like after the 2016 team when 2017 there was going to be an obvious regression. Like run it back once more. Like if you get back to the playoff a third time and can't get it done or if you win a national championship, by all means go. But like there's too much meat left on the bone of this team with everybody we already know who's coming back and who could still announce that they're coming back. I agree with everything that you said. Let's cheer ourselves up by talking about the Fiesta Bowl. 51-45, Michigan falls in objectively one of the more entertaining games that I've watched. Like if I weren't a Michigan fan and I was had just landed on this planet and was learning the rules of football, I'd be like, wow, is it always like this? It is not. That was a bizarre game. 44-point third quarter. Uh, this was a back and forth deal. I mean, TCU had that 18 point lead early. There's two pick sixes, two fumbles, a 76 yard touchdown pass, eight scores in eight minutes, a 59 yard field goal and the highest combined score in Fiesta Bowl history. All of that would be fantastic if Michigan were sitting on the other side of this. What were your thoughts as a whole about this absolute circus tent fire of a game? This game was like doing a line of cocaine and riding a motorcycle out of a helicopter that's also on fire. <laughs> that's how it felt for the duration. I've never been, I told you off air, I've never been more disappointed in a game and more proud of a team because every time there was a moment that you had the gut punch of like, well, not our night, they come back and they like, they have a big play for a touchdown or a big play you think is a touchdown force an interception, force a fumble. Michigan wouldn't die. Like it was just like the undertaker kept sitting up and just kept taking stone cold stunners from Max Duggan over and over again. And eventually it was just too much to overcome. Um, a, a lot to break down in this one, man. But it was just like such a, a deflating loss at the end, the way it went out with the targeting not being called, the last drive really sputtering after the defense finally made a stop. But again, never been really more disappointed and also never more proud in a team. I don't think 1989 Michael Bay and like the height of his cocaine use would have signed off on something this extreme. He would have been like, oh, hang on, guys, like this is a little much. Let's let's tone it down a little bit. You're going to tell me that uh, there's going to be back to back pick sixes. That doesn't happen. But this thing opens up first play from scrimmage. I text you and I'm like, if we gash them early on, 
this thing's over. Donovan Edwards goes 54 yard run right into field goal territory. We get four plays on the goal line. We run a fourth and two end around to the tight end, took him about seven yards behind the line of scrimmage. And uh, this isn't Eric all or some like speedy tight end. It's Colson Loveland, a wonderful man, wonderful tight end. Maybe not the guy you want running seven yards behind the line of scrimmage when you're on the two. So it started out really just bizarre and a lot of the I mean, this is not the only decision around the goal line that this coaching staff probably going to look back at and shake their heads and wonder what could have been. Yeah, well, that play was a Philly special. He was going to throw it to J.J. McCarthy. And, like, I understand the thought. Like, if you even watch the replay, the linebackers do crash down. You're hoping to catch them. But TCU's corners and their secondary are way too disciplined. Nobody bites. Nobody moves. And Al Board just leading up had a great breakdown point of you can throw a wrinkle in here or there, but be who you are. Be who got you here. Just smash the football right down there. You never run Colston Loveland in that motion. So as soon as it happens, there's an alert going off on the defense like this is weird. We should watch this. Be smart about it. So all of it was freaky. You just got a little too cute down there on the goal line. I mean, you could have just easily taken three points. It's not sexy, but it would have been a lead, and Michigan never had one of those in this game. Yeah, I don't mind being aggressive, and you think you know, you're know you built around your offensive line, but running a Philly special does not really put your offensive line in a position to dominate. You know, you're putting the ball in your tight end's hand to make a throw. It definitely was a Philly special. He didn't rear back to throw it because J.J. was well covered, but I'm pretty sure like the design of the Philly special is to give you that run option as well if that's taken away, and they completely were all over it. So I agree with you, like getting outside of your comfort zone early on there you go down 14 to three you get an interception and then what looks like a 50 yard roman wilson bomb for a touchdown we were just talking about this off air this is one of the most intense momentum swings that i can remember in a game in a michigan game i'm sure there's more but you think that you get get the pick that you so desperately need against a team that does not turn it over in particular mac Max Duggan doesn't throw a lot of interceptions and then you get a bomb to Roman Wilson that for sure is a touchdown, especially since the spot w- was pulled back two yards. So this, it, the whole thing was a catastrophe. It was bad officiating and it was just an absolute killer. Like I'd never thought we were going to be able to come back from that. And the fact that we did battle back after such an intense momentum shift, there's some credit to be deserved there, but what was your, your takeaway from this point in the game? Just complete and utter frustration because, like, should never fumble at the goal line, but that play also should have never been ran. Like, it was called a touchdown on the field. To overturn it is just just egregious. Like, how, like, just the incompetence knew, knew, knows no bounds in this moment, especially when they misspotted the ball by two whole yards. That's six feet. That's a big difference in what could have been a touchdown. And then the the goal line uh, quick handoff to Khalil, um, to Khalil Mullings. I didn't like the play design, and I also didn't like the uncertainty between JJ and Olu Atimi. All game was just like kind of rocky. I don't know if there was like timing errors, if there was like communication errors. But as soon as JJ went under center, like it was just kind of jerky. Like he wanted to move. Olu wasn't snapping. Like it happened several times, and it hasn't happened all season. And then he bobbles the snap, puts it on Mullings loose. He fumbles it forward into the end zone. So then they get to come out freshly on the 25. Don't even start at the one. We spotted them no points and put them on the 25. Yeah, Vaughn and I did the momentum shifting plays pod uh, while you were out that one week. And I'm pretty sure we had three of them occur against us in this game. The fumble on the one being one of them. Also, I'm going to start pounding this drum more loudly after this season. The bush push is legal. And J.J. Watt came out and said, and you'll hear multiple defensive tackles and ends say this, that is the hardest one yard or one foot play to stop in the entire playbook. There's nothing you can do with that guy behind to push the quarterback forward. So as soon as they lined up on the goal line, I was telling Jim, my my, uh, cousin who was here, I was like, it's got to be it's got to be the quarterback sneak like you could do that three times, four times, there's no possible way you can stop a quarterback falling forward with a running back or a fullback or whatever to push him four times. Impossible. So I didn't like the play call. You're absolutely right that something just fell off in some of the exchanges, whatever. But yeah, you're right. It goes into the end zone. And that was a killer, man. Like you go down 21 to three by far the most we've been down all season. And it was hard to really find much to cling to. But then we started slinging it. 
you know, Donovan Edwards, only 119 yards, 54 of them came on the first play in this game. So it had to happen through the air. And Roman Wilson and Ronnie Bell and Colston Loveland and J.J. McCarthy, credit to them, picked us back up and kept us in this thing. And it ended up being like stupid things that we haven't seen all year, like missed tackles that ended up being the real Achilles heel once this thing became more of a back and forth affair in the second half. Yeah, it was all the uncharacteristic mistakes. It was the offensive line getting absolutely zero push, not being able to handle the speed of the linebackers. It was the defensive line just getting manhandled at the point of attack. The defensive ends could not generate any pressure at all on Max Duggan. If he just sits back there clean, he's going to destroy you like he did for a lot of the game. Um, he said the, the missed tackles, the DJ Turner, two misses on the crossing routes resulted directly in touchdowns, which dropped passes by Colston Loveland, bad exchanges, untimely penalties. And despite all of that, despite 18 point deficits, despite being down, I think it was like 41, 22 at one point to even to 19, Michigan battled back and made this a game and then still had the ball with a chance to win. It was just unbelievable, but I mean, unbelievable in more than one way, because like I said, the frustration was coupled with pride, was coupled with disappointment for the team who kept battling. And then at the end, it just, it was over before it felt like it should have been. It's like, it's not supposed to end this way. It just felt like that. And it was like, this is the best chance Michigan's going to have. And a lot of it was just self-inflicted. <sighs> Yeah, I had to take a moment there because you're absolutely right. This is the best chance we're going to have. And we can do it again next year. But you saw just how difficult it was to get here. Um, all right. I, I'm, I'm losing track of where we're at here. But the last play I wanted to talk about was down six, Michigan driving, a chance to get into the end zone, the targeting. I call it the targeting because it was for sure targeting. I pulled up the article that describes targeting and put it into the dock with all of the descriptors that they use for what determines targeting. And there was that call, and then there was the call at the end of the Georgia-Ohio State game, which was less egregious, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Michigan fan. Everything about that call against Loveland said that that should have been targeting. The, uh, the announcers thought it was targeting. Everyone in there thought it was targeting. Like I actually was like ready for the next series because I'm like, oh, you have to call that targeting. No player shall target and make forcible contact to the head or neck of a defensive defenseless opponent with the helmet, forearm, hand, fist, elbow, or shoulder. If you launch and leave your feet to attack upward and thrust the body to make forcible contact in the head or neck area, that is targeting. Go back and watch the play. I'm only going to rant about it this one time because I hate putting things on officials. But JT was short. That was targeting. Roman got into the end zone. The end. Breach. All three are right. And I'm with you. I don't want to like harp on the officiating because it's just beating a dead horse. And it's just a, a lazy kind of take. But yeah, I mean, 15 yards there puts you at the 50. Who knows what happens? But at least you feel like you had a fair shake at the last possession of the game. And the one positive I really want to hit on in this game, in this performance, that was nothing but a positive, was Jake Moody kicking the ball from space. 59 yards? Are you kidding me? And it was looked good from 65. Un. Believable going into the half, and that was just enough. I forget what that put the score at because uh, I had a few cocktails that evening 21 6, 21 6, but that was just enough. And you're like, oh, yeah, they get the ball back at the half, but that was enough to make you believe. And then you come out in the half and do what you need to do. It looks like you're going to get back into this game. Like, had we have come back and won this thing, man, like. I'm telling you what, I'd, I'd offer a calf massage. I, I would. I'd have no problem with it. Jake Moody, man, the all-time <laughs> leading scorer at Michigan. So props to him. But look, man, you said it You said it perfectly well. Like this is an opportunity that was squandered. I mean, they, they really did go out there and give it all their all. I have some issues with some of the coaching decisions. I think they could have been better prepared. I also agree that that huge of a layoff probably hurt us more than it hurt TCU. Like if we would have played one week after the big 12 championship, my confidence would have been through the roof. My confidence was through the roof regardless, but with what we saw in this game, what we saw against Georgia, Ohio state, which we, what we saw against USC Tulane. I'm wondering if you take this much time off, you throw these teams out on a neutral field. If you can kind of just take away all the statistics for that season, it certainly felt like that with some of the scores that we were seeing, some of the on-field product that we saw, like this was just a completely bizarre outlier, one might say, but we, we didn't get it done, man. And 
now you got to try to rally yourself to bring back the troops and do it again next year because it's very difficult to get into that position, extremely difficult to get into that position. And we had it right at our fingertips. And I think if you simulate that game and the Ohio State Georgia game 10 times, Michigan and Ohio State come out victorious more times than not, especially Michigan. Like we probably win that thing's eight times out of 10. Felt like it should be 51 to 21, honestly. Take away the two pick sixes. Exactly, man. And uh, to quote basketball, uh, you know, it took a team effort to get here. It took a team effort to lose it. So it was uh, coaching at times. It was the offense at times. It was the defense at times. Like nobody was just the dominant unit. Like JJ would have a big play, then have a bad play. Like the running back could get going and not get going. The defense would force a turnover and then get the ball run down their throat. Coaching would get to their identity, trying to get too cute. It was all over the place. So it's hard to stick the blame. It was a team loss. Team got him here. And you just hope they can use this as motivation to really fuel up, like use it again for next season and start at week one. Well said, sir. We don't like to be negative on this podcast. So let's take a quick sponsor break, come back and put some perspective on this thing. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. The holidays are here and that likely means a lot of merriment and cheer, but also a lot of discomfort canceled flights, sleeping on an airport floor with your own disheveled wardrobe as a pillow, mother-in-law staying over for an extra three days so they can critique the layout of your kitchen, a fun tete-a-tete with your racist uncle who thinks that the cranberry sauce has microchips in it that will track your location. No matter what it is, you need to be comfortable where you can control it. And that's why the Manscaped Platinum Package is here for you. The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. Platinum Package has each product from the best-selling performance package, plus the ultra-premium body wash and ultra-premium 2-in-1 shampoo plus conditioner and ultra-premium deodorant. The Lawnmower 4.0 body trimmer and the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer feature proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to protect your delicate parts. Plus, both are waterproof, so there's no issue clearing the snow out of your driveway, as we like to say. There's also a 4,000K LED light, so you can light the way, much like Rudolph. Now that you've groomed, it's time to make sure you don't smell like an actual reindeer with the Platinum Package shower products. All of Manscaped shower gear is sulfate-free, vegan, and made to have your skin feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. Smelling good doesn't stop at the shower. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver can have you smelling fresh all day long. Platinum Package 4.0 sitting under the tree is guaranteed to put anyone in the holiday spirit. And for this perfect stocking stuffer, add in the brand new Body Buffer, an incredible body scrubber that makes exfoliating easy and a lot cleaner than that old loofah. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code MNB20. Manscaped, get your jingle balls ready for the holidays. All right, coming back, let's go ahead and wash away the sorrow. Let's climb ourselves out of the basin of despair. And let's put some perspective on this 13-0 season, the first time it's ever happened in Michigan history. If you're going to rate the seasons, rank them as I'm sure we will, this season and last season have to be in some combination number one and number two of like the, the seasons we've been covering, correct? Uh, yeah, we started covering the seasons in 2017 was our first year together. Um, this season is number one. Last season would be number two. Um, so let's extend that to the Harbaugh era. Like if you're saying what are the best seasons of the Harbaugh era, even there's no way, no doubt about it, that this season and last year's season are one and two in some order. So let's go through some of these numbers here to put some perspective on just how dominant this was. This is the first time ever. In a hundred and what is it, 143 teams that Michigan has gone 13 and 0. That dates back yep. to February 8th, 1879, which some might say is the beginning of time because at a meeting of the Royal Canadian Institute, Sanford Fleming first proposed global adoption of standard time. So since the beginning of time, this is the best Michigan season ever. So I'm going to lead with that. All right. It's never happened to before. And this team's been around since just after the Civil War. So there's some history there. 
<laughs> There's history there. It's 25 years before flight was invented. So, like, yeah, it's been a long time, and winning 13 games in a single season is nothing to be taken lightly. Like, you can see the grind of the Illinois game, the Maryland game. It gets very, very hard to go week in and week out in the Big Ten, and to do it unblemished 13 times in a row is nothing to scoff at. We're back-to-back champions, Big Ten champions, for the first time since 1991-1992. Shout out Desmond Howard. The number one Billboard song at that time was I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. The number one movie was the animated Aladdin. So just to give you some context on how long it's been since we won back-to-back champions, I was not old enough to remember either of these things. I mean, I kind of remember Whitney Houston and Aladdin being in the zeitgeist, but I wasn't like, wasn't buying the Whitney Houston album. Yeah, I was born in 1991, so I was closer to being a fetus than having a memory. <laughs> so uh, you weren't there for the opening of Aladdin. Got it. Uh, we beat Michigan State, <laughs> Penn State, and Ohio State in the same year since 1997. The billboard number one was Candle in the Wind, and the first Harry Potter came out. The book, not the movie. Dude, Candle in the Wind is such a banger. Uh, just cl- great song. Slaps. That or 5,000 Candles in the Wind, though. <laughs> So there's some competition. Oh, 5,000. Let's go. Let's Shout go. out Andy Dwyer. <laughs> we went back to back against Ohio State for the first time since 1999-2000, the year the PlayStation 2 was released and Destiny's Child was selling more CDs, yes, CDs, than any other group on the planet. Blake Corum had the most rushing yards in a season since Denard Robinson. Jake Moody became the all-time leading scorer. Jonathan James Jesus McCarthy, or him Caviezel, Went for 2,700 yards, 22 touchdowns, and five interceptions. Pretty solid, but 64.4% completion percentage was also the nation's leader in efficiency for like five to six weeks. So how would you grade the J.J. McCarthy season? I think it deserves to be touched on here as a positive. Yeah, it is a positive. It was good. He was also our third leading rusher on the year with over 300 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, it was definitely a step up from the quarterback play last year with Cade McNamara. I think you could put uh, JJ's performance this year as like a good solid B. Like it was above average. It wasn't great. And there was ups and downs and learning curves. But for a first year starter to post a record of 13 and one is incredible. I agree with you. You get the Blake Corum year, which was a frustrating end to what probably should have been at least a Heisman appearance, if not a Heisman win, but doesn't take away from the fact that he ran for 1,400 yards, which was good enough for six per carry, 19 total touchdowns. This was a monster season from Blake Corum. And whether he decides to stay or whether he decides to go, I think when you think back on the 2023 season, he'll be among the first three names that you mentioned, if not the first. With Blake Corum, I think the return kind of has a little more juice now because it's back-to-back seasons where he hasn't been able to finish at 100%. Like, I feel like there's a little more to prove there than there used to be. Like, Could it affect the draft stock, affect the signing bonus? Do you want the Heisman? Do you want to really be a contributing factor against Ohio State Like, at your full strength? Like, it didn't have as much pre-injury, but like post-injury, there might be a little bit more there. And then let's also touch on Donovan Edwards, who himself almost ran for a thousand yards, like nine yards short of having two 1,000 yard rushers, which would have been the first time since what Denard and Fitz Toussaint. Try, I'm doing that off the top of my head. I don't have that that stat here, but you, you're a walking stat book. <laughs> I believe it is in the first time with running backs ever in Michigan history because last year Corum finished up with I believe 994. Oh my god. We just need to like keep them in for one or two extra plays like and like it's worth the injury risk. We got to get it. But uh uh the other positive that I'm going to remember is the freshmen. The emergence of some incredible freshmen. Colston Loveland and Will Johnson, Mason Graham probably would be the three. But there's just been a lot of guys, Jimmy Rolder, um, that you mentioned as well. TJ Guy, where he didn't have the biggest year, but I'm still on Guy Island. So I think that will be something that I remember. I don't remember this many freshmen playing and having this big of an impact on this good of a team. 
Yeah, C.J. Stokes, Kenneth Grant are two other names of guys we saw. Tyler Morris came up huge against Rutgers with a, a crucial third down conversion. Amarion Walker had some run. Darius Clements. So a lot of guys had chances that you haven't seen in a long time. And just the the two younger groups on this team, the freshmen and the sophomores, I'm really going to remember because you go to the sophomores where Rod Moore leads the team in interceptions. Um Junior Colson leads in tackles with over a hundred this season. Just like all of these guys becoming key integral pieces, I'm going to remember that. And uh, one more, I want I want to touch on here, just because he is our boy and he has been our boy, and that is Mikey Sainer. Still, I'm never going to forget this season from him. The switch over, the interception, just what he's meant to this team, and the fact that he's coming back makes me feel good, whether Harbaugh's back or not. Totally agree. I was going to add him in there. I mean, Jesse Minter, I put at the bottom of this list. I think we just have a little bit of a sour taste in our mouth from the Fiesta Bowl, but let's not take away from what Jesse Minter was able to do, particularly in the second half of games. So on a whole, like, what do you think will be, let's say, top three memories of 2023 season for you? Uh, number one will be the Ohio State game. It'll be J.J. finally hitting on the deep ball and then Edwards having the 75 and the 85-yard touchdown runs. When I think about 2022, Michigan-Ohio State's the first thing I think about. I think that has to be there, and you can pick your play from that. We'll definitely do that. That's a different pod where we'll go back and actually pick some plays. Um, but as far as moments, yeah, it would have to be like the moment that you and I exchanged like just our first names, and I used your full Christian name. Like the moment when we knew we had beaten Ohio State for the for the second time. That's probably my number one. Uh, number two for me is going to be trouble with the snap at the Michigan State game. You were also there for that one. Oh, man, you and I, the first time it happened, just shouted it. And then when it really happened to, I, think, I believe it was the, one of the best punters in the country, actually. And you, it was it just felt like the closing of a chapter that had lingered over us. And it felt like, good, this, there is justice out there. And in a 29-7 victory that was really just mucked up by what happened after the game, don't forget what happened during, and it was great. It was beautiful. My last moment took my dad to his first Michigan game against Maryland. That was awesome. I'll never forget that. So, I mean, overall, man, I went to four games, uh, went to one with you, uh, went to a rivalry game, which was awesome. Got to tailgate up at Michigan four times. Um, you came up for the Ohio State game, 13-0. and Like, there's just so much good to remember about this season that I've already talked to myself out of the malaise that I was in during the intro. Like, it's going to be an awesome season to look back on. I can't wait for the offseason to, like, break down some of the stuff from last season and start talking about who's coming back because there's a lot of them. Like, it, there's a lot of good going on right now at Michigan. We just got to lock in Harbaugh, like, get some stuff cleaned up, some, some housekeeping, and – this is like as good as it's ever been, even after a, a horrible loss to TCU, a crushing loss. Like both things can be true. Yeah, the the reason the loss is so crushing is uh, I wrote an article this week for amazingbrew.com. Go check it out. Is because the expectation at Michigan now is national championship or bust. Like it's the Billy Bean saying, if, if you don't win the last game of the year, nobody gives a shit. Like last year, it was just such house money for Michigan to be there. But now it's like such devastation because the team was set up in such an opportune position to win one. Now that's the expectation. That is the standard at Michigan. These are the good times, my friend. In 2014, we would have done anything just to have a winning record. Like we remember the Rich Rod days. Like don't be short-sighted about this. These are the good times. 25 wins in two years. You couldn't have written this script two years ago and convince me that's what i'm saying man think back to the 2020 the covid season look at what's going on with michigan state think back to the brady hoke era things are good drink it in i'm with you brother you know that we always will eternal optimists here let's take a quick break when we come back we're gonna look at another absolute roller coaster of a team the michigan basketball team and look around college football landscape after some of the bowl games. Talk about some of the teams we're buying and who we're selling for next season. We'll be back right after this. All right, coming back, let's talk some basketball here. Another team that I absolutely can get no sort of read on. The back-to-backs of Central Michigan and Maryland had to be what it's like to Marlis Singer dating Tyler Durden, where you're just complete personality crisis. Uh, loss versus CMU, 63-61, to 61, where their guards uh, absolutely went off and cooked ours. Our guards in this game, Bufkin, McDaniel, and Howard went 
13 of 38, or excuse me, 13 of 35 for 38 points. That was 34%. And then the much bigger guards of CMU uh, went for 47 points in this one. Brian Taylor, Bass, and Zarzuela off the bench. This was a tough one to watch. Were you able to watch any of Michigan, Central Michigan? I was not. I was down there that didn't have, was unable to get coverage of this one in St. Lucia. And you know what? I'm glad I missed it. (laughs) Good one to miss. Uh, After this one, there was some hand wringing and I'm seeing a lot, a lot more of the Jawan Howard is on the hot seat stuff. That is the kind of loss that gets that sort of discussion going. I'm so far away from that. You had a great point off air that sometimes you just have bad seasons. And I'm not saying that that's what this is, but even if it is, you got to give them a little bit of leeway to have those every now and again. That being said, there's too much talent on this team to have a loss like that. And this shouldn't be a down season. Even when you lose Llewellyn, there's just too many guys on there. Uh, Jet Howard has had a stretch, even in the Maryland game, which we'll get to in a second. Not efficient, just not efficient. So this one, I mean, I'm going to put that Central Michigan loss on coaching and on Hunter Dickinson, who had just another awful game, another tepid game, like very, very just, I don't know, like a a slubby fat guy, like just meandering through a grocery store, picking out ice cream sandwiches, like, like, oh, there's nothing, nothing enjoyable at this. I don't like watching it. I don't want to know what he's going to do with those ice cream sandwiches either. It was the strangest metaphor I've ever made, but it was just very, very sloppy and gross to watch. Uh, And then we get Maryland. I, I had a podcast uh, without you that like the second half of the podcast last week where I asked for the Hunter Dickinson FU game. So he, instead I get the central Michigan game, but then after that we get an absolute all timer from Dickinson. This game is insane. Like none of it made any sense to me. I was again, vacationing and then I, I checked my phone to get an update on the score and halftime. It said, 44 to 13. I was like, oh, it's got to be like an old football score. It's just giving me the wrong thing on Google. And I was like, no, this is the game. I was like, Maryland's a good team. They're the only team to beat Miami on the year. They were receiving votes for the top 25 last week. I have some bad losses, but a very good team. And then at the end, you see the final, you see the Hunter Dickinson stat line, and you're like, I texted you. I'm like, Jared, you called for this. It's like he literally responded exactly what you called for. Yeah, Maryland picked to finish in the bottom 10 of the conference, but started out 8-0, 2-4 cents. This one was 81-46 at the end, and it, a beatdown I find easier to compare to like a fully grown water buffalo trampling through a screen door and into your living room than competitive Big Ten basketball. Just like you described it, you're like, that's a, an actual score of a real game. They trailed by 17 before they could even start the scoring. Uh, Not a single starter scored a point for Maryland through the first 13 and a half minutes of the game. That's my favorite statistic of this entire thing. Uh, 35 point loss is the largest loss since joining the Big Ten in 2014. And the Hunter Dickinson FU game that we have both referred to 32, 12, two assists, two blocks. And Julian Reese, who he was on in that game finished with two points and two boards and fouled out of the game. So it was on both ends and offensively, it was just a master class. And my question to you is, can this just not be every night for him? Like we know he has the talent. I am fully convinced that this is a mental thing, that this is a personality thing with Hunter Dickinson. Am I way off base here? No, you're not. It, 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 I don't know if it can be an every night thing, but it could be, you know, a once every three games type of performance with Hunter. He just needs, he needs that wake up call. Like he can coast most of the time and almost average, you know, 20 and seven by really not playing that hard. And Michigan was winning these small games and they could get away with it, get close in the big ones, but that's not how greatness works. You have to do it every day. And if you translate that kind of effort from the smaller games, you stop playing to the level of your competition. You start winning the closer games. And then you have performances like he had here when this is the guy we've been waiting on. This is the guy we saw flashes of. And what impresses me the most is like you said, he did it on both ends of the court. Against Central Michigan, he had 13 points. He was three of nine. First of all, you shouldn't stop shooting at nine. Like You're the most important offensive option on this team. But only having six rebounds. They didn't even play a center, did Central Michigan. So that tells me this is an effort thing. And I agree with you. It probably can't be 32, 12, and two blocks every night. But that effort can certainly be there. 
every night to where even if you're not scoring 32 and pulling down 12, you're impacting the game in a positive way. Be that with your defense, be that with your passing like he can do those things. He's not elite at any of those things, but he can do them. So it just has to be more consistent if this team wants any chance of of going anywhere this year. In years past, we still had John Beeline guys on the team. This is the first team without a Beeline guy. So we need to find who the leaders are on this team. And it, it needs to be Hunter Dickinson, I think, at this point. And you can't ask Buffkin. You can't ask Jet Howard, who's probably going to be a one and done. So he needs to be the guy that's not only holding people accountable, but is also the number one option night in and night out. Yeah, th- this is so refreshing to see. Just like at the, the loss actually meant something to the team. They had the players only meeting. They accepted accountability, called the Central Michigan loss unacceptable. And all that is lip service if you come out in the next game and just continue what you've been doing. But no, they came out and just destroyed this team. They play Penn State tonight. We're recording on a Wednesday. So we'll see if it carries over for two games in a row, if they can keep this momentum up. But it's a very promising sign of light from seeing Hunter Dickinson finally start to scratch the surface of his potential. They've got Penn State tonight, like you said, and then it's at Michigan State. So things get real. We're in the thick of the Big Ten schedule, sitting at seven and five, or excuse me, eight and five now, second in the Big Ten. So all that talk of Michigan in danger of missing the tournament, that one win now puts us like right in the bubble. And a win against Penn State means you're probably forecasting Michigan to get in. So it was way too early to panic. We never were even there. I don't know that we will panic at all on basketball this year just because of the football season that we had. We'll see, though. Like Once the football high wears down, we'll definitely start to dig into this more. But this team is in no way dead. And I think, I don't think, I know this, mark my words, they're going to get better just because of the youth that's running things out there. So uh, any final thoughts on basketball? Uh, yeah, one on Hunter Dickinson's podcast. You and I were talking off air about this, <laughs> and I wanted to raise I wanted to raise this point on here where you know he's calling people scumbags. He's drawing a lot of heat, but he's taking a lot of attention off other players. Like people aren't going after Jet Howard for his inefficiency. They aren't going after you know Michigan's effort at times. All the hate and stuff has really been focused on Hunter Dickinson. It's like the Bill Lambeer strategy of him just being a magnet for all the vitriol, all the hate, all the attention because he can take it. He really can't. He has no problem playing the villain. He's doubled down. And from a leadership perspective, I like that. I like that he is wearing this for everybody. And if he's going to do that and then play like he did against Maryland, by all means, Hunter, keep talking your stuff, keep playing your ball, and we'll be just fine to make it in the tournament in March. He's like a hate sponge. Well, that's what we'll call him. He just he just sucks it all up so that nobody else has to absorb it. That's a fantastic point. I'm glad that you made that on air. Uh You and I do not mind trash talking. We're actually very pro trash talking. If other teams want to do it to us and other fans want to do it to us, if it's all in good fun, like, yeah, I'm all for that. So when the players do it, like, I think that just makes this more entertaining. Like the people getting all up in arms over scumbags. Like, bro, that is one of the funniest old timey insults you can call someone other than like a roustabout or a peckerhead. Like it's objectively harmless. It means nothing like and I don't know. We just all need to chill out a little bit. He wasn't like cursing him out and stuff. And I'm with you. Play the foil. Be the heel. Be the villain, Hunter. I I don't even mind. He never is going to be like one of my all time favorite players. But if he just embraces it, I think I'd like him way more. Just go all in. So great call, man. Uh, switch back over to football to close this thing out. Let's do it. So did you watch any of the other bowl games? I know you were out living your life like a normal human and probably didn't tune into the, uh, the Mayo bowl or the tax slayer bowl or anything, but were you able to catch a few other games? Yeah, I was actually some at the pool bar there. I had a TV above it. I was able to, you know, dig in drink several mojitos, drink a few glasses of champagne. I got to watch the, uh, the Orange Bowl, I had to watch the the Alabama game against Kansas State, and I got to watch the other semifinal after the Michigan game, which you know made me feel a little bit better. Thank God for that, because yeah, if uh, Ruggles would have made that kick, I don't know that I'd have been like as cheerful as I was in the second half of this thing. But I was able to watch uh, quite a few bowl games this year, and I followed them closely. Even if I wasn't watching them fully, I was tuning in a little bit. want to do a little bit of teams were buying and teams were selling for next year. And we're just going to look around everywhere for this exercise, not just within the big 10. So I'm going to start it out with a team that I know is on both of our lists and we're not going to talk too much about it here because uh, well, 
you'll understand when I say the team. That's the Michigan Wolverines. We're going to cover them plenty over the next coming podcast. We don't need to get too deep into it, but uh, I'm buying what they're bringing back on both sides of the ball. Let's just leave it at that. On your list? Uh, you know, uh, they, they just made it, you know, <laughs> snuck on. Like, we might talk about them a little bit this season, but yeah, man, I'm buying all the stock I can. I've never sold any, not since after 2020. So, yeah, all in. Almost feel like I just wasted 30 seconds of both of our lives even bringing it up, but I digress. <laughs> uh, I'm buying Wisconsin next year. I mean, the bowl game, uh, they win their bowl game, and Fickle actually coached in the bowl game, which is weird. Like, I don't know the last time I've seen that. Like where someone actually the the incoming coach went in and coached it and they look pretty good. I think they're going to be defensive. I think they're going to be annoying to beat. Um, I they have a a quarterback transfer coming in as well. I don't have who that is written down. I don't know why I don't have that. Um, I, I just buy Luke Fickle, man. I think they're going to be really tough, well coached, physical, not too dissimilar from how they've been, but I expect it to tick up under Fickle. Yeah, uh, Nick Evers is coming in from Oklahoma. And that's one of the that's big right. names joining his program. Yeah, man, I, I buy into Fickle. I like what he did at Cincinnati. I like the way he recruits. That's a team I'm buying. Um, another one I'm buying for next year, don't have it on the list here in front of me, is Penn State. Uh, Penn State finished the year 11-2. and two. It's still going to be a James Franklin coach team, so always take that with a grain of salt. But Nick Singleton, this team is very very youthful. There's a lot of talent there. They have questions at the quarterback position, but there's a lot of talent returning in Happy Valley coming off 11 and two season. That's a good one. Rose Bowl champs. And it's just going to kind of be forgotten because they got beat by, you know, the two big 10 teams representing us in the playoff. And it's just one of those weird years where yeah, Penn State kind of goes under the radar, not for their fans, but it was another really good year for a coach that was kind of embattled. Uh, he catches a lot of flack on this podcast. We're not huge believers in it, but ended up being our second best win, and we needed them to be as good as they were this year. So I'm buying it as well. I mean, you lose the quarterback that's been there since uh, I was about nine years old, but you're going to be able to replace that. They recruit in the top 10 almost every year. Singleton coming back, losing Joey Porter, but they've recruited really well almost every single year. So that's a good one. Uh, another team that's got an absolute just influx of talent coming in is Florida State. The transfer portal, they actually ended up going above us because of the uh, the Fentrell Cypress, which is just an incredible name for a cornerback. Five-star signs with them, so they actually move above Michigan. Uh, really good bounce back season for Mike Norvell and Florida State. I'm buying them as a real challenger for Clemson. Like, and this is a sleeping giant of a program. You don't want Florida State to get going because anything warm weather down there that's not Miami that has like real facilities and a real place, like they can absolutely get going and get hot. Like Florida State could in one year be like talking playoffs potentially. Like I know that's a little insane, but just don't let them get going, man. Yeah, that's a, absolutely a team to watch. They finished the season as one of the hottest teams in the country. Um, I'm going to piggyback off that, actually stay in the ACC, and I'm going to say North Carolina. Uh, Drake May, uh, coming back as a sophomore, was uh, in the Heisman conversation most of the year. Uh, loser offensive coordinator, but the play calling really didn't take a dip in their bowl game. And Mac Brown just knows how to get the job done as a head coach. I, mean, I think he really goes underrated as one of the best head coaches still working, like won a national championship at Texas. Not an easy thing to do. And like has been very successful at North Carolina, reinvented themselves from the hard running game of Javante Williams to now the passing offense with Drake May. So I think North Carolina is a team I'm really buying next season because they have the most important position really shored up. That's interesting. And just another challenger for Clemson, um, who is worth talking about because the team that beat them is on my list. And that's Tennessee, who defeated uh, Clemson 31-14 in the Orange Bowl. I'm buying Tennessee again, and I'm buying them because Joe Milton looked really freaking good in that game. I personally am not mad that he's doing this at Tennessee. We couldn't wait around for that to develop at Michigan with J.J. McCarthy there. So this is one of those things that works out for everybody. I mean, Milton's getting up there now. We recruited Milton quite a while ago. So he'll be the starting quarterback next year. Jeremy Pruitt really turned things around there. They should be favored on every, against everyone on their schedule, but Bama and Georgia. So 10 wins, very, very much in the cards for Tennessee. And yeah, you get sneaky against one of those other guys and, and get to 11 wins in the SEC. That could be a playoff team again. 
Oh, baby, I'm rubbing my hands together and I'm going to do it. I'm going to zag on this one. Um, Joe Milton in this game had the big plays, was good. Also had four three and outs where he couldn't complete a six-yard pass. So I think those go overlooked because of the big, sexy plays. And I think the inconsistency over the course of a season is going to cost them two to three games when they get really tight. Because even Tennessee this season with Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt went to overtime with a very overmatched pit team, like had struggles throughout the season at moments they shouldn't have. So when teams can do it, with coupled with Joe Milton's inconsistency, Tennessee is going to be a team I'm selling next season. Can I re-zag? Can I push back on your zag? <laughs> Of course. Uh, I really stand with that point that Joel Klatt made that I'm stealing and now use all the time. You got to learn how to win small before you can win. And then you got to learn how like before you can win just normal. And then you got to win normal before you can win big. So Tennessee has been bad for a long periods of time. Like they needed to learn how to win these close games. So I'm not going to fault them for being in close games when no one expected this at Tennessee. They were the surprise team of the year. So I'm going to give credit where credit is due. I agree with some of your Joe Milton stuff. And if you want me to sit, say like I'm buying 100% Joe Milton's coming out and it's going to be some sort of Heisman candidate. I am not doing that. I am not saying that. I think he can be serviceable enough. And you look at their schedule. It's not that hard. And even if you lose three games, like you're going to be in a pretty good bowl game. I'm saying I'm buying these teams as being pretty good. I'm not saying like the like playoffs necessarily, but it's not too far out there with their schedule. So um, I, all your points are well taken though. Uh, another one here, I've got uh, Oregon state, the Beavers, uh, Jonathan Smith, the foreign, former Oregon state quarterback coaching at his alma mater. So another like Jim Harbaugh follow there. They got DJ Uyungle coming in. They finished 10 and three uh, really good all season, like just quality team and a difficult place to win. The only reason I might not be as high on them is the Pac-12 is pretty deep, and I don't like their schedule as much next year when people will see them coming, but they deserve to be mentioned here for the season they had. Oregon State is the only team in the Pac-12 that plays defense. They have been all season, and last year they had such a just a negative at the quarterback position, and now bringing in DJ from Clemson, you know my feelings on him. I think it's just going to be more of the same. So I, I like Oregon State. They're probably my, my favorite team in the Pac-12, but I'm just selling that conference because they don't play defense. Like It looks all sexy at times, but then when the game slows down and shrinks up, all these teams find a way to fold and blow the game. So like while the conference is like appealing on a surface level, it really reminds me of like the Big 12 10 years ago. That's fair. And I mean, one of the more shocking results was USC dropping to Tulane and they clearly know what's going on. Lincoln Riley has to realize that something needs to be done about that defense immediately. So I didn't put USC as a team that I'm buying. Do you have them on your list? No, I couldn't sell USC stock fast enough. Like after the the second defeat in the playoff with uh, with Lincoln Riley, they still have not learned how to coach defense there. Can recruit all they want, bring in all the big receivers, all the transfers, all with Caleb Williams painting profanities on his fingernails just to lose to Kyle Whittingham and some big beefy Utes. No, couldn't be selling them fast enough. I think they'll be in it till late in the season, but I don't trust them clearly. Like I don't know how you turn your defense around enough to be a playoff team, but. Also, you know, just get into the playoffs and things can get weird as we learned this year. So all they got to do is get there. So I'm not like willing to just be out out on them. There's too much talent. Got the Heisman Trophy winner returning. Got a really good coach. I'm not out out, but I'm not putting them in teams I'm buying. Last team I'm buying is unfortunately Georgia. That's because of their schedule. Why don't you listen to this doozy, this this whopper of a schedule. UT Martin, Ball State, South Carolina at home, UAB at Auburn. Kentucky at Vandy, Florida at uh, in Jacksonville, Mizzou, Ole Miss, both at home at Tennessee at Georgia Tech. Disgusting. Yeah, I'm buying Georgia because of despite losing a ton of stuff. It's Kirby Smart. He's a great recruiter, great defensive mind. Todd Munkin expected back as OC, one of the best play callers in the country. And only two really maybe tough games in there, you know, at Tennessee and then South Carolina, who's one of the best coach teams and one of the more surprising ones down the stretch. So, yeah, when you're basement just looking at it, it's like there might be two tough games. I would say it's a pretty light schedule. Yeah, I would agree there. Any other teams you're buying? Um, I'm looking through a list. I'm, I'm, I'm always going to buy Alabama because of Nick Saban when the a down season yeah. is 11 and two. You frequently yeah. deserve to be talked up here. 
Um, but no, that's the only other team I'm really buying that we haven't touched on. Yep. Agree with you. I mean, there's some other ones. Oh, also, if you're down, we should do our top 25 at some point this summer. I mean, RJ Young can just come out and be wrong as I'll get out. So why can't we, if you're up for it? Yeah, by all means, of course I'm up for it. I'm always down to be wrong publicly. Let's go. Uh, teams I'm selling. Let's move over to the other side here. I'm a little nervous about Purdue. That's that. That's fair. I mean, you you made good points about Aiden O'Connell and Charlie Jones being gone. I'm more positive. I'm I'm more buying them uh, this season. With uh, I, I like Walters. I like the Graham Harrell hire. Uh, the transfer quarterbacks coming in, I really like as well. So I'm a little higher on them than you, but it is going to be a tough year replacing that experience. And you and I both stand for O'Connell. Stand for O'Connell. Really like Charlie Jones. I think we were both uh, marginally attracted to him, so that was weird. But Ryan Walters coming <laughs> in, I had to like Google him because I didn't know who he was. He was the two-year DC at Illinois who had an awesome defense. But that's just such a shift in mentality for a first-time head coach. I do like what you mentioned, bringing in Graham Harrell as OC. But listen to this schedule for a team that has to like start a new quarterback, which even though it's a transfer, like you're just replacing a lot and new head coach. Fresno State at Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Wisconsin. You could be 0-4. Fresno State is no joke. At Virginia Tech is a nightmare of a place to play. Syracuse was solid this year, at, but, you know, fell off. But not easy either. Then Wisconsin, Illinois at Iowa. Ohio State at Nebraska, one of the hardest places to play, and they'll be improved. At Michigan, Minnesota. That is a rough schedule for Purdue. So I am going to go ahead and bet they are not repeating as Big Ten West champs. I'm going to stay in the Big Ten West, actually, and echo another team I'm selling is Iowa. I'm selling Iowa, the Cade yeah. McNamara, the Eric All. Like, we can wish them well, but also they're a, they're a team in the Big Ten now, so I hope they don't do that well. I would love to face them in the Big Ten Championship next year and give them what for, but no, like, I am selling Iowa. Like, the way they're, they're going to bring back Brian Ferentz because Kirk's not going to fire his son. So you're going to get more of what you see. Cade thinks he is Patrick Mahomes, but he's like Alex Smith on a broken leg. Like, let's be honest here. I am absolutely here for all of this smoke right now, and I'm not buying them either. Like they're just trying to create this like it's not even diet Michigan or Michigan light. It is some sort of knockoff from like a grocery store in a basement in Rangoon of, of Coca-Cola and trying to create that at Iowa. And it's just not going to work. I, I, I don't think it's going to be that easy to come in and just get things going there. And I don't have Iowa's schedule in front of me. Do you? Pull that up real quick and let's I see got what we it. got there. Here we go. So yeah, pull that it's up. Utah State to open up. Yeah, Utah not State, not bad. At Iowa State, Western Michigan, not a gimme. Okay. At Penn State, nightmare. Michigan yep. State, Purdue, at Wisconsin, Minnesota, by week. At Northwestern, easy. Rutgers, easy. Illinois, at Nebraska to finish. Not that bad, but I mean, at Wisconsin's certainly going to be no picnic. That's not too bad. I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, I'm with you and I'm not going to sit here and say we have to wish these guys well and prop them up for the way that they left and going to a Big Ten school like yeah, whatever. I kind of just have no thoughts on those guys. I'm neither positive nor negative. But if we see them in the Big Ten championship and they navigate that kind of blast schedule, well, then we've got something. So I'm, I'm not going to zag and say I'm buying them, but uh, I, I like where your head's at there. Uh, team I'm selling, Florida Gators. Rough finish to the season for Billy Napier. Uh, had the one win against Utah and then a bunch of crap. Just really a season that and like Anthony Richardson kept them in the headlines. He's probably going pro. And if he does, I just don't know what this is. They can recruit, but. It would take like a real big turnaround. And we've seen that like second year coaches get things figured out, get a little bit more, get a few more of their guys in there. And there's no shame in losing to Oregon State in your bowl game 30 to seven. But look at their schedule next year. Instead of Utah coming to the swamp, you got to go at Utah. Nightmare of a place to play at elevation. Tennessee at Kentucky. You could be 0 and 3. Like that's a rough start. At South Carolina, you could be 0-4. Georgia, 0-5. Arkansas, you could be 0-6. At LSU, Florida State, you could not win a game on this schedule. It's entirely possible. That is a brutal schedule. If that's not the hardest schedule in the nation next year, I don't know what is. Every one of those teams could be ranked at some point. 
That that is shockingly difficult. Like you said, Richardson kept him in so many games this year. Um, the culture there is in question. Players posting stuff at halftime and after games, just like just not not good vibes coming out of the swamp right now. Um, another team I'm selling, and I want to make sure I quote him accurately. Uh, Hunter Dickinson used the word scumbag, and I feel like it's appropriate <laughs> here when talking about Steve Sarkeesian, the head coach of Texas. I am selling. Texas because he acts like a petulant child because somebody just some intern stops him from running on the field when he wants to and just cusses him out like didn't know the camera was on him obviously because you know integrity is what you do and people aren't watching and he exposed himself he was horrible and they there's only four games listed on their schedule for next year but their second game of the season after opening with Rice is at Alabama so good luck with that. I am selling Texas, especially without Bijan Robinson to save them so many times. That is a good one. I had them on my list as one I didn't mention if you didn't. And for a lot of the reasons there, and just because Texas has been back, I'm air quoting right now so many times and it never happens. That feels like a good bet. Here's another one that feels like a good bet. Texas A&M. I'm out. Rough schedule. Bringing in Bobby Petrino as a last ditch effort uh, to call the plays. He's 117. Um, their offense is already being operated by an 117 years year old. So I don't know how this is going to modernize things. And that was the big thing that they needed to do. They lost 27 transfers. I don't like any of the quarterbacks on their roster. There's a ton of talent all over the place because of how well they've recruited. But it feels like a dumpster fire. Or maybe that's even being too kind. Maybe it's a tire fire on wheels. Uh, oh, I guess a tire fire would always be on wheels. Never mind. That's that's the dumbest <laughs> thing I've ever, I've ever thought of. But Bobby Petrino isn't going to come in and save you. That's the second dumbest thing anyone's ever thought of. So I'm out on Texas A&M again. And Jimbo Fisher probably going to be getting one of the most expensive buyouts in history come next year. God, uh, another team I'm selling. I'm, I'm just going to do it and, and lean into it. Um, I'm completely selling Michigan State next year because I don't like the culture. Peyton Thorne's gone. There's a lot of question marks surrounding this defense, what they're going to be next year. So it's very up in the year. Mel Tucker is just seemingly gone from, you know, savior to like the bad kind of goat overnight. So there's a lot of pressure on him there. So I think this could be potentially like a just another repeat season or even worse with the quarterback position being up in the air. So look at their schedule. Central Michigan, they somehow play the Richmond Spiders, which I've been we've been covering football now for seven years. We have never said those two words back to back ever. I did not know that was a team. Uh, Washington comes to East Lansing. Uh, that's going to be an interesting game. We'll know everything we need to know about that with Michael Penix coming in there. Maryland at Iowa at Rutgers, Michigan at Minnesota, Nebraska at Ohio. So not a gauntlet. But I mean, that's uh, having Washington in there, having to go to Kinnick, Michigan, and then I don't know what Minnesota will be next year. And then at Ohio State feels like they're capped at like eight or nine wins, you know. I wouldn't even say nine. I think they're capped at eight because Penn State's eight. down there lurking. You're in the big. You're in the Big Ten East because it, it's so much more difficult to win games and like the home field at you know the barn, whatever they call it, is not that good. Phoenix come in and really torched that secondary last year. Um, don't don't know about Maryland. I guess Talia Tungavailo is finally going to do it. He's finally going to get over the hump. But you know my thoughts on that. Uh, at Kinnick is never easy, but K McNamara's quarterback. So you know we'll see what happens. I do know your thoughts on that. I'm a little bit more of a buyer than you are. I can't believe we're going to watch him for another year. It feels like we've watched some of these quarterbacks. Like I, I'm beginning to know him, like Aiden O'Connell and yeah, and Tugavailoa. Like at this point, but uh, yeah, man. Uh, who else you got? Anybody? Oh yeah, I'm selling Miami. Uh, they're going to have all these recruits in yep. there. It feels really just kind of like they could be the Texas A&M. They were not good this year with all the preseason talk about uh, Tyler Van Dyke and how good he was going to be and everything else. But um, no, no, just very, very out on them. So as out on them as, as I am on Turtle Tonga Vialoa. So it's fun. <laughs> I was hoping one of us would do it and just go all in and be like, I'm really out on Ohio State next year, but I can't quite get there. I need to see who they're going to be starting at quarterback, but it is nice that they have to come to Ann Arbor with uh, some type of fresh quarterback. So I, I am I am down with that part of it. But uh, any other teams for you, man? That's all I got. 
No, that's it for me, man. I woke up this morning and just chose hate, so I had a long list of teams I'm selling. Man, all my optimism for Michigan has to be balanced out by my pessimism for other teams because, you know, at the end of the day, I started this as a fan. Look, always choose violence when it's uh, directed towards a rival team or uh, a different school. I'm here for it, brother. Uh, that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, we're going to get into our offseason stuff. I had on our schedule that we'd be covering a national championship next week, so I'm going to have to make some changes okay, to next. that. We'll get into basketball over the coming days. We're going to bring Kellen Voss on in a couple weeks. Looking forward to that. I got our Academy Award Season Award podcast, and then we're definitely going to start getting into next season man which is going to be exciting like now we can actually look ahead at this and just early early peak ahead this team is so loaded so it's just going to be a lot of fun to talk about man so many young guys interesting freshmen interesting transfers like this may be the most interesting team we've covered going into a season like it's going to be a lot of fun I'm so excited, man. This offseason, like uh, you sent me the planning doc uh, already for what we're going to map out our topics for. And there's just so many to go into. I mean, hockey's picking up, basketball's picking up, football is never going to stop. And in just a few short months, we're going to be at the spring game. 100%, man. Got to give shout outs to everyone that made this season so great. All the people that we interact with on Twitter, all the people that we met at the games, Jimbo, Wolverine Chronicle and josh and jose and who am i missing here there's too many people logan for coming on it's such a good community man we are very fortunate and blessed to have just that hub to like you know celebrate the good times and console on the bad uh jim's dad fantastic meeting hanging out with him omar um, Matt Hartwell, uh, Mace Crusader on Twitter is a fantastic guy. Works with us now, co-worker at Mason Brew. Oh, yeah, um, awesome. Kellen Voss for coming on, uh, talking basketball, the premier voice in basketball. Uh, Trevor Vaughn, everybody at the site, man. It's been one of my – probably my might be my favorite year covering the team like through and through because made so many new friends, met so many new people, and it was a fun ride. 100%. This was my favorite year covering it, so wanted to give all those shout-outs. If there's anyone we're missing, which I'm sure there are, apologies, you know who we are. But that's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe. Give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. You can follow us on Twitter, at Maze Brew. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue. Go blue.